Welcome to Press On with Aaron Rios, lead pastor of Garden City Church. We pray that you are encouraged and enriched as you press on towards the cause of Christ. I want to talk to you today about a young Jewish boy and his wealthy father. This is a familiar story. I trust many of you have heard this story. It's one of those stories that most of us heard if you ever attended Sunday school as a small child. It's one of those easy to remember Bible stories. And as I've read through this story so many times, it seems like there's deeper layers every time I've revisited this story. That's the power of scripture. A scholar once said, the Bible is shallow enough for an infant to wade it's deep enough to drown scholars. And so this is a story about a young Jewish boy that woke up one morning and decided he was deeply unsatisfied with his life circumstances and he makes a decision and that decision leads him to the pig pen. This message is called A, a Boy and His Pig. You guys know the story, the story of the prodigal son. As I was looking at this story this time, it dawned on me, I don't recall ever going to career day at school and seeing a, a boy or a girl raise their hand and, and say, it's my goal when I grow up to become a drug addict. It's my goal, my aspiration is to be homeless. I, I don't ever remember anyone raising their hand and that being one of their goals. Nobody ever plans to fail. Nobody ever wakes up in the morning and says, this is the day I'm going to make the decision that's going to completely set my life off course. Today is the day that I'm going to get locked up. That's not typically how we navigate. So today I'm going to be reading from Luke 15. I believe this is an urgent message. I believe this is a timely message directly from God's heart to your ears. If you would let it into your heart, I believe God can do a mighty work in you today. I believe that there are some people today that might be on a collision course with the pig pen. And if you would just open your heart and let the spirit of God speak to you today, I believe disaster could be averted. Can I pray for you this, this morning? Father, in the name of Jesus, so we get ready to dive into your word. I ask you that you would give us the ears to really be able to hear what it is you want to speak to us. Your word is alive, it's powerful, it's active, and your word is the only thing that can change man's heart. And so we invite your word in this moment right now. Speak to us, change us, transform us in such a way that when we leave service and we wake up later this week, we would still recognize that we were in your presence. We love you, Father. You're good. In Christ's mighty name, amen. So let's go ahead and turn to Luke 15. I'm going to be referencing pretty much this entire book, but I want to hone in on verses 14 through 17. Would you turn in your word with me? And it says, now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything. But when he came to his senses, say senses, 
He said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I love that. Why don't you go back in your word and just underline senses, the turning point of the story, the moment of realization, the moment when reality hits, he came to his senses. Nobody spoke to him. There wasn't a clarion voice of God. An angel didn't appear. Just at the lowest of lows, he came to his senses. We're going to revisit that shortly. And really, before we get into this verse and dig into this, I, I want to reflect at how this begins, and I want to just share with you how this story kind of sets up. It begins as most of uh, the, the Gospels begin. Jesus is somewhere once again, and he's teaching. I have to admit, for such a long time, it, it kind of confused me when I tried to picture this in my mind. What did it look like? I've seen those films where Jesus is teaching. Uh, Jesus is ministering, this Jesus film, some of them are not that entertaining, but I have seen in recent years some, some really great films that try to stick pretty closely to scripture. But nonetheless, it seems like any time the scripture tells us he was teaching a crowd that these films sort of just cut, jump cut, and all of a sudden there's a crowd assembled, and I've always wondered, how does that work? But recently I've taken multiple trips Uh, to different countries on mission trips or visiting. And I'm thinking of when I visited the Dominican Republic to work with my mother and father-in-law and to work with a a dear brother of mine who has an incredible ministry uh, around the world. And on our mission trips, we're given materials to go and hand out. And it seems like when we get ready to hit the streets, we've never had a hard time finding a crowd of people. Um, We're not advertising anything, but we kind of stand out. In fact, I'm thinking of a time I was going through New York City with my older brother. He was driving, and uh, as he was driving, he was trying to zoom past traffic, and he'd keep hitting red lights, and he'd keep hitting just the mobs of people that are all throughout New York City just wandering and doing their thing. And I remember he got so frustrated that he just slammed on his brakes, and he turned to me, and he said, what are all these people doing here? It's like a Tuesday at 11 o'clock. Don't they have a job? And I sort of, sort of smiled and uh, realizing how frustrated he was trying to weave in and out of traffic. I said, well, they're probably like us. They're, they're probably just touring. So here we see Jesus and he's traveling around and these crowds assemble. How does that happen? Well, you know, rabbis, they would, they would travel. Um, People did not have electronic devices to stay plugged in into the know the way we are. You see, we, we got virtual crowds ourselves nowadays. We, we have audiences all around us. Um, we're just here in you know, the United States, we don't quite do it the same. And in Jesus' time, Jesus, uh, in his travels, number one, as a rabbi, that ordinarily attracted attention. Number two, people weren't preoccupied, and so people were paying attention. And number three, you got to recognize that most of Jesus' teachings, although there was plenty of times when his teachings were spontaneous, Jesus began to develop fame as the Bible teaches us. And so there was some notoriety, there was some fame. People began to know who he was, and as rabbis in their dress would travel, it it drew attention and people were interested. So nowadays, people 
tear open their newspapers or like I said, they stare at their Facebook and Insta feeds to get their, their information. Jesus um, traveling around and word surrounded between he and his disciples, that, that tended to pick up some attention. Can I tell you something? You have more influence than you're aware of. You have a voice. You, Jesus traveled around, people stopped, they paid attention. Can I tell you that in your movements, in your jobs, in your schools, in your families, there are people who want to stop and listen. There, there are people, you may only have two Facebook friends, but you have somebody in your vicinity, somebody in your circle that you can speak to, that you can influence. Maybe you're into fitness or literature, religion, just as rabbis would travel and audiences would be drawn. Can I tell you, you've got a message that's worth drawing people. The people are interested. Would you be encouraged? Would you be bold and recognize that God's put a word in your heart and in your lips? Open the Bible, begin to read, begin to digest what God would speak to you. And I can promise you that there are audiences that will push through crowds to find you and to hear what you have to say. So here we find Jesus teaching at the beginning of Luke 15. And Luke is very interesting, the way he, he takes the time to let us know that there is a particular crowd surrounding Jesus. He tells us that there's sinners and there's tax collectors. He also lets us know that there are religious people around him. Luke is very specific to tell us that these sinners and tax collectors are there, though. What does this mean? I love this. The sinners represent not just people who sin, Scripture tells us we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And Luke understood this. But Luke is specifying that this is a particular class of people. These so-called sinners that are surrounding Jesus, these aren't just your average sinners, the ones with secret sins like you and me, right? <laughs> these are the sinners of reputation. These are the sinners who are known for being sinners. These are people that have public struggles. These are people that if you were in school and they were walking towards you, you would turn around and walk the other way. These are your drug dealers. These are your pimps, your addicts, your prostitutes, your, your brawlers, your, your manipulators. These are the people that normally you wouldn't want to associate with because their sin is known. But yet, Scripture tells us these are the people that are drawn to Jesus. Then Luke tells us that we have the tax collectors. Well, we know that the tax collectors weren't very well-liked among the Jews. They were loyal to to Rome and even the Jews that were that were working as these tax collectors, they weren't really well liked among the Jewish community. But nonetheless, Luke is letting us know that these aren't just the tax collectors that people don't like. He's letting us know that these are publicans. These are people of reputation. These are people of high esteem. So when he tells us that there's tax collectors there, these, these are important people. These are people that aren't necessarily sinners of reputation, but rather these are people of a different class. Can I tell you that Christ's message also drew the people of reputation. Could you imagine a day when the fine people of City Hall stand shoulder to shoulder with the sinners of reputation? I'm talking about uh, a time in your church, a time in our church, when people of every class, of every creed, of every situation feels welcome. You see, this is what the message of Christ's teaching does. It unites people because the message is the same that everybody needs a savior, everybody needs hope, everybody needs encouragement, whether you're the mayor sitting in the mansion, whether you're the governor, whether you're the president, or whether you're a homeless wreck on the street. Can I encourage those of you that are facing discouragement and challenges that your remedy is gonna be the same as the king? 
Your remedy is gonna be the same as the pauper. It doesn't matter where you are on the scale. All of us need Jesus, and this is the place that we find all classes, they're surrounding Christ. So we gotta understand that church is not necessarily a place for simply humanitarian response. Church is a spiritual organization birthed by God and betrothed to Christ. The church is here to herald a supernatural message of salvation. We're not here to just make people feel good. We're not here to just give people a pick-me-up. See, it's important that we recognize that Christ's ministry, beginning here in Luke 15 uh, and throughout his ministry, it was to a certain group of people. Now, after he ascended into heaven, We've been commissioned to bring his message to the rest of the world. So it's important that we understand and we frame scripture through the lens of Jewish culture. I think it's pretty cool because from here we begin to apply and we receive um, the life of the word as it fits into our lives and, and, and we extract the truths that God wants to tell us. But we have to understand when we read scripture that we're not cracking open a fortune cookie. You know, we're not reading some kind of a horoscope in the grocery line. This is the living word of God. And it takes a little bit of effort to to dig and to understand and hear God's voice and and recognize what God wants to say to us. This is a culture and a time. These are real events. Jesus is really sitting with sinners, he's really sitting with the tax collectors. So here's the premise, Jesus is teaching. The author notes that the Pharisees and the scribes are in earshot. I can hear them complaining, can you? There he goes again. I wonder what he's gonna say. Man, why is it that haters always gotta hate? Like, why is it that if they don't like Jesus, why are they even there? When I was a little boy, my mom would, would tell me, now you just gotta ignore. You just gotta learn to ignore sometimes. People are gonna criticize, just ignore them. I, I never really listened to that. I let that stuff get to me. Okay, I can probably imagine the little Jewish mom telling the Pharisees, you know, if you don't like this Jesus guy, you just need to ignore him. But nonetheless, I don't think they listen either. My kids don't listen when I tell them that. Like, <laughs> I don't know why we don't take that advice, but instead, why do we surround the objects of things we dislike? Like, why do we have to follow up on those Facebook feeds and continue on with the messages and get these conversations going? Like, if we don't like people, unfollow them. If you don't like what they're saying, pray for them. But that's, I think it's a little too hard. Can I, can I tell you that when you get on point, you get on mission, you begin doing what Christ has called you to do, your haters are gonna be there. Don't worry about it. Continue to tell the message. Continue to tell the story. See, when I was younger and I'd read passage, I was always a little bit frustrated. I, I recognized that these Pharisees and the scribes and even the Sadducees, they seemed to be in the story, but really um, Christ's sort of nemesis in the Bible was always these, this present religious community, always criticizing and always poking at everything Jesus was doing. But I really got frustrated because I didn't understand at that time I wondered why didn't Jesus just go into the synagogues and minister and like make the leaders the, the focus of his ministry? Well, the truth is they were the focus of his ministry. Every time you read, they're always there. And so it's very important that I kind of share this with you as we begin to dig into this. I want you to hold this in your mind that there are Pharisees and scribes in earshot, okay? So as we get ready to, to dig into this story, I wanna ask you what would lead this Jewish boy into the pig pen. See, I'm concerned that there may be events in your life unfolding 
that look like paths and opportunities to freedom, but unbeknownst to you, I like that word, unbeknownst, it may be driving you to the pig pen. I'm talking about some people right now that they're fed up. They're sick and tired of their situation. They're sick and tired of their marriage. They're ready to call it quits. They're sick and tired of a friendship. They're sick and tired of their job. They're just done. You see, as I look at this story, I see a little Jewish boy, and I'm not so sure that the conflict was really between him and the father. In fact, we know a little bit about the father based on the way the story unfolds, that the father seems to be a loving person. I mean, in the story, we we obviously can tell that the father is God the father, right? So I don't think the point of of contention is between him and the father. See, if we read the story, I believe the point of contention is the other brother. Something we quickly overlook. We've made this story about the boy and the father. But I believe that there have been people in our lives that they get us so tied up, they get us so frustrated, and rather than dealing with them, and rather than, than going to the father, in turn, we take it out on God. Marriage isn't going right. Problems between me and my spouse, I take it out on God. I take it out on God's people. Something's up with my job. It's not going the way I'd hoped. I take it out on the wrong audience. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. When situations kind of get out of hand and we got conflict, rather than confronting the issue, we turn and we take it out on the wrong person. And, And this is what we find happening. At some point, the burden of this young boy living in the father's house became too heavy. And so he detaches himself. I want you to write that down. He detaches himself. He goes to his father. He does something that's not common. He asks the father to give him his inheritance. You guys know the story. Did you realize that he was asking for the father to basically die? Just die and give me what's mine. I'm done. I wish you dead. So he looks to detach himself from his roots. Detaches himself from what he knows and what he represents. And this is going to sound kind of harsh, but I got to thinking, what would cause me to detach in the same way that this boy detaches himself? I mean, I look at friendships that I've detached myself from. I look at relationships that I've become detached from. Can I be honest? I believe a lot of the times when I've sought to be detached, to get away It's because I've looked at something that's not giving me what I think I should be getting. I've looked at a relationship and I said, you're not giving me what I think I deserve or a job's not treating me fairly. My circumstance is not giving me because I feel, it's a dirty word, entitled. I'm not saying you're not valuable. I'm not saying that in some of these situations that my value is being challenged, but sometimes I've placed my value above the struggle that I need to go through in order to become the person that God is calling me to be. Instead, I look for the easy way out because entitlement, it makes me believe things about me that aren't necessarily true. You know, it tells me that I deserve certain things and that people are really here to serve me. I don't know, have you ever been a spiritual person? Let me ask you this, have you ever found yourself in relationships, friendships, something in your home life, your married life, maybe your church life, it started off well, but now you find yourself really hating things. I mean, I can imagine this boy in this house, probably wealthy, things probably going well, and at some point, it's not going the way he wanted it to, and so he wants to pull away. I can't imagine how many people I've met 
seems like they had great home, home circumstances. I, I've met children that their parents were wealthy, but they're not even living in the house. They're, they're living in the streets, hooked up on drugs. Something about the home didn't satisfy them. Their, their provisions in the house, it didn't satisfy them. Some of these people had genuinely loving parents, but it just wasn't enough. So they try to find a way to detach. See, entitlement, it makes you believe you're owed. And can I tell you that if you walk and live with a sense of entitlement, you're gonna forever feel a sense of dissatisfaction because entitlement, the attitude of entitlement is, is really about a dissatisfaction in the soul. Come on, we've all been there. So let me ask you, do you believe the purpose of life is to be served? to get what you can out of it. I, I recall Jesus said that he came into this world to serve, not to be served. So what does he do? What have we done? We leave. That's what he does. He leaves. The boy leaves. He leaves and he, he takes the next step and he attaches himself. I, I want to I circle around to verse 15. Your version might say that he hired himself, but the more accurate translation, I'm not a Greek scholar, I just did research like anybody else could do, uh, but uh, the word that is, that is really there in the passage is kaleo. It's a Greek word, it means to glue or to join or to unite. You see, God's never created us to remain detached. Everybody wants to get detached for a season. Come on, everybody, they want to get out of the house. Everybody wants to go to Hollywood. Everybody wants to do this and that. They want to detach. They want to pull away. I went to Six Flags and I, for some reason, decided to ride as many rides as possible. I was with my daughter and some friends and um, some of the younger people that I, I mentor and I disciple and we were just hanging. We were chilling for the day and they talked to me into riding the Superman ride. Has anybody ridden on that ride? It was... So I played tough while I was waiting in line and, and as I got ready to get on the ride for some crazy reason, I decided to sit in the front. And can I tell you, when I sat down and my legs were dangling, like just all strength left my body, I wanted to get off, but I had to play, I had to play it cool. So I just sat there even though my eyes were watering and I thought to myself, what am I doing? I, I don't, I'm getting a little too old for this. Like I don't, I got nothing to prove I'm good, but I couldn't get off and I wasn't going to scream. So I just thought I'm going to take this. I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build up some courage here. I'm going to take this ride. It's, we're going to do this. And as the ride began to move, they play this epic music and I could just feel courage just coursing into my body. I'm like, oh yeah, I got this. But then as soon as the coaster moved past the speakers, all of a sudden it was silent. And since I was sitting in the front, because I thought that would be a genius idea, I didn't realize that when we got over the hump of the drop, that there'd be a momentary uh, time when we'd be still and I would just be dangling, facing, I don't know, 400 feet, looking straight down before the ride began to move. Utter terror gripped me, carriage left me, and I was just I was just, oh man, I was, I was praying the prayer of salvation, making sure I was right with God. And then the ride dropped. You know what the most exhilarating part of that ride is? It's, it's the same thing that skydivers like. Um, it's the zero G. Come on, that's when you feel like you're floating. That's the woohoo moment, right? Everybody, everybody wants the 
the woo moment, the yahoo. Everybody wants that moment. That's the moment everybody wants. That's what we live for. We live for the zero G moment, the moment when we're just, just in between earth and sky. You know, we live for the moment when we're weightless, no strings attached, but you cannot live in a zero G moment. Can I say that again? You cannot live weightless. At some point, if you don't pull the chute, at some point, if you're in a roller coaster, gravity's gonna hit you and it's gonna hit you hard. And that's for me when my neck goes out of alignment, I gotta see a chiropractor. And if you're skydiving or if you're a parachute uh, jumping, you're, you're jumping out of the airplanes, at some point, you're gonna hit the pavement. Because God never created us to remain detached. He said in Genesis, it's not good for man to be alone. In Acts, it tells us they came together all the time because we were created for community. So this young boy does what we've all done. When we're detached, we seek attachment. He detaches himself from that rich, loving, oppressive father that brought him up in a good home. And when the right opportunity presents himself, the right opportunity presents herself, when that right opportunity presents, rather than humbling ourselves, see, he came to the realization, oh man, I'm out of money. Oh man, I don't want my good time to end. But rather than humbling himself and going back to the father, what is he? He does what we all do. He pulls out the shovel and he starts to dig it just a little bit deeper. That's what we do. We get ourselves in a predicament and rather than humbling ourselves, we gen try to remedy these things ourselves. But what we, do, what we really do is we further our predicament, right? You ever found yourself in a relationship and instead of ending it, you move in together? Or, or rather than leaving the job, you know, you accept the promotion or you commit yourself to something you knew you shouldn't have been committed to. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. You know, those friendships, you find yourself in those relationships that they just take, and so you try to end it, but then you find yourself taking the phone calls. I talked to you about Facebook. What are we doing scrolling up and down on, on, on social media? Just unfollow them already. Quit trolling them. Quit liking their messages. I don't know. I don't know. Why, why don't we? Why don't we just hit the, hit the ground on our knees? I'm, I'm going to tell you why. It's my opinion. You can, you can agree with it or not. We keep pursuing the things that are destroying us. We keep pursuing the problem. We pers keep pursuing the path of resistance. We keep pursuing these things. Yeah, we, 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 we go to what was supposed to be an escape. We go to what was supposed to be the good time because our pride told us that we stepped out on this and we're not supposed to fail in this. So we go and we chase it down because the cost associated with the remedy, with the humility, with humbling ourselves, it feels higher than the cost of the enslavement. The cost of the enslavement is far higher than the cost of humbling ourselves but we don't see it that way. The Bible tells us that you're not gonna be able to, to master sin. Sin will rule you unless Christ lives in you. 
Can I tell you that this young boy, it gives us an impression in scripture. I'm going to hire myself out to somebody. I'll get myself, I'll get myself a job. But what he was really saying, I'm going to join in on this. I'm going to put my arm around my boss and we're going to work at this together. Come on. We partner up with things. We think it's the remedy, but we don't recognize that what we've done is we've joined ourselves. We've glued ourselves. We united ourselves to the problem. And now we've made it that much tougher. I got, I got some old lyrics here for you from a the songbird of not my generation, but a generation past. You guys know Bob Dylan? This is what he says. He says, you may be an ambassador to England or France. You might like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. You might be a rock and roll addict prancing on the stage. You might have drugs at your command, women in a cage. You might be a businessman or some high degree thief. They may call you doctor. They may call you chief. You may be a state trooper. You might be a young Turk. You may be the head of some big TV network. You may be rich or poor. You may be blind or lame. You may be living in another country under another name. You may be a construction worker working on a home. You might be living in a mansion. You might be living in a dome. You might own guns, you might even own tanks. You might be somebody's landlord. You might even own banks. You may be a preacher with your spiritual pride. You may be a city councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a barber shop. You may know how to cut hair. You may be somebody's mistress, maybe somebody's heir. You guys know the chorus? But you're gonna have to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. I, mean, I hope that hits you. You don't partner with sin. You don't join in on it. You don't join in on the party. Sin owns you. When you're not following Christ, sin owns you. You're a slave to it. I remember a time in a season of my life when I, I would leave my door and I would tell myself there were things I wasn't going to do. And by the end of that night, I was doing it. And I would, I would look at myself and ask myself, why am I doing this? I didn't understand. I didn't understand that there's no partnership with sin. I didn't understand that you become a slave to sin, that sin owns you. I don't think this Jewish boy understood that. He didn't leave the father's house to fail. How many times we set out on course, but we don't read the signs. We don't respond to the roadblocks. God is there trying to prompt us, trying to let us know, turn back. This isn't working. These decisions you're making, don't bail on that marriage. Don't bail on that, that relationship. Don't bail on that loved one. Don't bail. But instead, we're like, no, I got this. I'm, I'm going to make my own way. I can take care of this. I can do this on my own. I, I think that this could have been remedied at the beginning, really before he chose to leave home and, and wish his father dead, he could have just went to his father and said, Dad, I'm getting some problems with, with my bro over there. Like, he's, he's, he's not being very kind to me. I, I want to I get out of here. I, I want to bounce out of here. I don't want to be in here. Maybe Dad would have done something. I don't know. I can almost guarantee. And so many of the problems we find ourselves in, the remedy could have been just clear communication from the beginning. It's amazing. It's amazing how clear communication can remedy and rectify so many problems. How many husbands and wives, they go to bed fighting. When they, someone just needs to humble themselves and say, I'm sorry. 
Even if you didn't do it, just say I'm sorry for the cost of, of just putting some unity back in your relationship. I promise you, if you can just get over the speed bump of pride, the, the reward of unity in your home is worth just sucking it up. Some, some of you men, you just gotta suck it up. Just say, I'm sorry. Quit trying to prove your wife wrong. Let God change her. Let God change you. So here we find this young Jewish boy, right? He didn't realize that his path to freedom would become the gateway to the most disgraceful, filthy thing that a fellow Jew could ever be connected with, a pig. I mean, this just lets you know how far off this guy was because there, was, there wouldn't have been pigs in Jewish territory. You realize he was outside of the boundaries. He was far outside the father's jurisdiction. That's what sin does. That's what pleasure does. That's what lust does. It lures you far out of God's presence. It lures you out of the church. It lures you away from God's people. It lures you far away to a distant land where you're going to feel like you're too far. You're never going to be able to get back. And that's where we find the boy. I took time trying to frame this in Jewish culture because I want you to understand that really the, one of the climaxes of the story is pig. But pig doesn't send a shiver up our Western spines because most of us, we like pig. Or we like bacon. I like bacon. You might. I know it's not the best for me. In fact, I tried that keto diet because I saw people were eating a lot of bacon. I thought like that's what that was about. We like pork chops, most of us. I went to a fair recently, well, it's been a couple of years now, and uh, one of the parts of the fair, it had a petting zoo, and I was like, oh, this is, this is nice, this is cute, and I saw some goats and cows and some horses and some chickens, and, uh, you know, my kids were running around, they were touching all the animals, and it was really nice, and then as we got to one area, I was overcome with the most horrid smell, and I honestly thought, I thought, I thought maybe there was some, like, porta-potties nearby or something. Uh, has anybody been around pigs? Somebody thought it would be a good idea to put pigs in a petting zoo. I, this disgusting, horrible smell, I took a peek and it was just pigs lying in their filth. I thought about trying to change up the pig in our story for something that might put shivers in your spine. I, I thought a boy and his roach. Roaches, people don't like roaches. It made me, it, it grossed me out, so we just left it pig. But I want you to understand that in this culture, not only were they filthy, not only would they have been rejected, but for a, a young Jewish boy to sit down face to face with an object of filth, in derision, shame, humiliation, he looks down at himself covered in feces and he does the unthinkable. He breaks bread with the pig. Now, I've read a couple of different takes on this and scripture tells us that he considered in some translations, some, some other writing suggests that he actually ate with the pig, one or the other. What's important to understand is when you get to the point when you're ready to break bread with your problem, tells me you're accepting your circumstances. You're accepting your situation. You're just accepting it. You, you, you've, you've hit rock bottom. This is it. God's against me. Everybody's against me. The world's against me. Nothing ever works. No, I'd never do anything right. This is it. I might as well just break bread here and just settle because this is it for me. This is my life. That's probably where he was at this point. 
there's several layers of rock bottom here. Running out of money would have been rock bottom for some of you, but getting a job, hiring himself out, I don't know how long he was in the pig pen. I don't know how long he was taking care of these pigs. It was long enough for him to come to his senses, but can I tell you that this message, it's not a message for people who simply wanna overcome. These, this is specifically a message for people who feel overcome. You ever find yourself doing the unthinkable? I did. Sometimes we don't even know what we're capable of until the right circumstances present itself. Overcome, sitting in the pig pen, face to face with the pig. How about you? Are you in the pen? Are you face to face with your shame, your derision, your humiliation? Do you feel filthy? Do you feel like you've done stuff and you might as well just stay there because there's no hope? I got hope for you. Scripture's filled with hope. The word of God is always hopeful. See, it tells us that he came to his senses. This is so important because like I said earlier when we started this, it, there, wasn't, there wasn't a clarion voice from heaven. There wasn't an evangelist. There wasn't a pastor. It was just him and the pig. There's enough around you to point you in the right direction if you would just take a minute. Maybe you need to examine your pig to really realize that it didn't turn out the way you hoped it would and there's still hope. The hope is coming to your senses. He does what we fail to do. He prepared an apology, he prepared it. He walked it out. He got ready to go back home. He wasn't even sure if the father would receive him. Can I say the father is ready to receive you? The father is ready to receive you. You see, he prepared an apology, but he didn't even need it. The father was already there ready to receive him. And we could go down this a bit more, but I, I wanna tell you that this story, it, it's really not about the boy and it's not about the father. Remember I told you to hold it in your mind that these Pharisees were ever present. You see, this message, it's, it's about the older brother. It was never about the father. It was never about the boy. It was about those Pharisees that they were in earshot. This message was being given to them. Story about the prodigal is a message about the scribes and Pharisees. They, the older brother, never physically left the house or the synagogues, but they were never emotionally vested in the people. See, when we see the young prodigal return home, we don't see a celebration at the return of the younger brother. The father has to explain to him that his younger brother was dead. Just come back to life. You see, love rejoices in all things. It hopes in all things. The indictment against Christ was that he was opening up a relationship with God to these quote-unquote sinners. And that, that's really good news for us because God is opening up the opportunity for you and I to have relationship with him. Can I ask you, what would happen if the doors of your church, they swung wide open and all the sinners all of a sudden piled in? The prodigals come home. Would we be like the father? Would we be like the older brother? What if they come in and their pants look a little bit funny? Their haircuts are a little bit weird. They got tattoos, they got earrings. Maybe some of them smell funny. Maybe some of them are crawling in from the pen themselves. Would we be ready to receive them with our arms open? Are we like the older brother? Some of us haven't had the privilege of growing up in the so-called father's house. Some of us might actually need to detach but others, they've heard about God all their life in their homes. They've chosen to run away, they're detached. Are you detached this morning? Were you connected to something? 
For the prodigal son, detachment from his father meant attachment to sin. Are you in the pen with sin? Are you concerned the church might not receive you or ever want you? Do you think God doesn't want you? Are you considering staying in the pen? Can I urge you this morning? The father is, he's there waiting with his arms open. It's not something I can convince you of. It's something God has to reveal to you. God has to show you that he loves you. And I, I feel like the church has failed in representing that. I feel like so often I, I personally have failed in representing the love, having my arms open, of being there, trying to, trying to not be like the older brother. I've stood in judgment so many times, God forgive me. But I wanna tell you now that the father's arms are open wide. He's waiting. The story tells us that the father was always there. So there's two extremes here this morning. Are we the older brother just wanting our own? He, he, he wasn't concerned that the brother had returned. He was just concerned that he wasn't getting his. Where's my lamb? Where's my calf? Where's my party? Some of us, we've been faithful in church and we feel like we need a reward for it. Christ Jesus hasn't been that reward that he should be. Can I tell you where the younger brother and the older brother both meet? Where the prodigal and the Pharisee meet? We meet at the cross of Christ. It's at the cross of Christ that there's a remedy for the pig pen and there's a remedy for the older brother. See, Christ, he came and he didn't just die for just those prodigals. Yeah, he came to seek and save that which were lost, but he was there to reach the sinners, the tax collectors, and the Pharisees. Which one am I? I suppose I could try to take some time and, and try to profile myself and say I'm this or that, but Really what matters is the remedy. The remedy. Can I tell you this morning, run to the cross. Run to the cross. It's at the cross that we can find reconciliation. Yeah, I realize you gotta leave here and you gotta face real marriages and real jobs and real relationships and real depression and real addictions. But can I tell you, it's at the cross that these things were remedied. It's at the cross of Christ that your addictions were, were met and paid for and freedom was found. Can I tell you, it was at the cross that the ability and strength to keep going in some of these relationships that maybe they're not yielding the fruit that you had hoped it would yield. Can I tell you that at the cross, we find the courage and the strength to die to ourselves and die and continue to show the love and the light and the hope of Christ. And we begin to realize that what I once thought was meant to satisfy me and what I thought was once meant to give me what's mine has become my mission field now. See, it's become my place of witness. And all of a sudden, I'm not showing up to my marriage expecting to get a payout. I'm showing up and I'm being the witness and the light and the example. Some of us have been waiting for a payout. Some of us have been waiting for a reward, but what we need is to be praying. What we need is to bring the light and the hope of Christ. What I need to do is I need to meet the cross. Maybe we've met it before. That's okay. We need to be reminded again this morning. We need to meet the cross once again. Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? If you feel like this message touches you in any way, if you say, yeah, I, I'm the prodigal. Yeah, I'm the Pharisee. I'm the older brother. I, I'm, I, I'm the publican. I'm the, I'm the sinner. 
I, I'm thinking of bailing. I'm thinking of running out of this situation. I, don't, I can't stick it out anymore. I'm done. Can we hit the pause button? Can we bring our pain, can we bring our heaviness to Jesus? Let's pray. Father, you know the pain. Father, you, I can say you bore it on the cross, but some of us need the, the reality of what you did on the cross. We need that now. Paul said uh, to know the power of the cross. It's about the power of what was done 2,000 years ago. Lord, I, I need more than a memory or a reminder of what was done. I need the power of the cross to materialize, to manifest in my life now. I need freedom from addiction. I need healing in my marriage. I need hope. Father, some of us want to run out. We're done. We want to make a better way for ourselves. But to this morning, we're saying you've provided a better way. You've provided it, oh God, through your son, Jesus. And we run to Christ now. We run to Christ. We give you the opportunity to do what you want. We use the big old fancy word of avail. We have make ourselves available for your power to become present. Would you move in us? Lord, before I hit the pig pen, I want to hit my knees. I need your presence. And I invite you to do a miraculous work in me now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. You're good. Amen.
Hey, thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. I pray you were encouraged, enriched, and inspired to chase after God. If you enjoyed today's podcast, why don't you take a minute and share it? Let's encourage each other with God's word. And remember, if you do not have a church to attend, we invite you to visit us at Garden City Church. We're located at 140 Bridge Street in Beverly, Massachusetts, and we meet in the Emmanuel Congregational Church building. If you need prayer or an encouragement, I invite you to email me at pastor at gardencitychurch.net or you can visit me online at aaronrios.com or any social media outlet. Hey, till next time, keep pressing on towards Christ. God bless you.